If you would go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I guess I'm kind of working my way backwards. It's not not intentional. Just just going with the flow. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Our teacher writes, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so, again, coming to Ecclesiastes, this is uh, wisdom literature. And uh, we, we really want to mine the treasures of Scripture to gain wisdom. And this wasn't planned, but I just thought it was really neat that on the cover of our, of our bulletin, in which Brandy does just a wonderful job, it says here, he gives wisdom to the wise. And we want to come to the scriptures. We want to come to Ecclesiastes or Proverbs, um, the wisdom literature, understanding that God is the source of all wisdom and that we are to glean for that wisdom. So as we come to Ecclesiastes, all right, there's some, there's some weird, like, weird phrases there, but we're really trying to just mine out uh, the wisdom there. But we know we're currently living in some strenuous times. You know, the, the, you know we, you can read the news and the economy is not as it should be. Our leaders, both Republican and Democrat, are full of empty promises. And we know that this is, this is a time of, uh, just uncertain, of, uncertain, uh, of uncertainty for many. You know, we can read the paper, we can hear the news, and it's easy, it's easy to get distracted and discouraged. And the main thing that our teacher is going to tackle in this passage is, how do we live in a world filled with so many uncertainties, so many unknowns? So with that, he says in verse 1, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And what is he saying here? Is he saying, take a loaf of your favorite bread? What is, what is some of your favorite bread? Okay, you got, everyone's got their own, right? Mine's that, that King's Hawaiian. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like really sweet, and it's like, you know, it's like Play-Doh. You can put it into a hard ball, you know, throw it at your kids, or you can, you know, and then after it comes off your kid, you can still eat it off the ground, and it's still so tasty. Is he, is he saying to take your favorite bread or loaf of bread and to go to maybe head over to the Russian River and release? No, he's not saying that. There's two possible interpretations of verses 1 and 2. The first one is perhaps he's talking about maritime sea trade. In other words, he's telling us to, to, to take risks, but not foolish ones. And we'll continue that. Verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. He's telling us, don't put all your goods onto one ship. Don't put all your eggs into one basket. Perhaps he's telling us that we need to diversify. But he's still saying, be bold and take risks. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus tells us of the parable of the talents, in which, you know, it's a parable of a, of a master 
who you know, distributes talents to his servants, three servants. One is given five, one is given two, and the third one is given one. And we know that uh, the one that was given five made it ten, and the one that get, was given two made it four. And the one that was given one, what did he do? He buried it, did not use it. No risk, no boldness there. And Jesus' point, one of the points in that parable is that we must work diligently in and for the kingdom of God, and that when we work in the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God, it's always going to involve risk and boldness. <clears throat> in doing so, we must dare to take a risk with what God has entrusted to us. We must, all of us here, must dare to take a step of faith. But coming back to that maritime uh, illustration, we know that sea traders aren't the only people who take risks. Do we have any college students in this room? <clears throat> okay, Awesome. College students take risks, study many years in a certain field, and they pay for it, right? Is education cheap today? No, right? Are you guys always, like, shocked, you know, when you see your invoice? And for those of you that are parents that have kids in college, I mean, it's like, whoa, fees are high. But college students, they, they study in that certain field, and there's no guarantee that there's going to be a job waiting for them when they're done. That's risk. Writers who write a book. They take the risk that their book may never be published or well-received. We take risks when we buy a house. We take risks when we travel. We take risks, for many of us, when we try some different foods, right? Or perhaps when we pick a doctor. And do you know where else we take risks, according to this passage? We take risks when we give money to the poor. And this leads us to the second interpretation of verses 1 and 2. Look at Ecclesiastes 4.1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. So could the teacher here in this text imply that we ought to take a risk also in giving money to the poor? In the Middle Ages, commentators often understood the word, send out your bread upon the waters, as give, give your bread to the uh, oppressed. Give alms to the poor. And this is taking a real risk. And to be honest, I'm sure that this has been an issue in which all of us have wrestled through or are still wrestling. You know, from one perspective, maybe some people think, hey, when we give to the poor, it's money down the drain. We don't know what, we're, you know, maybe some people say, we don't know what they're, what, what they're going to do with it. We won't ever see the money again as well, maybe some people say. But what is this, what is our teacher here in Ecclesiastes says? He says, you will find it after Many days. Scholars have found a similar proverb in Egyptian wisdom literature, and it reads like this. Do a good deed and throw it in the water. When it dries, you will find it. Seven in the scriptures is the number of perfection or of completeness. So, you know, he mentions the number seven and eight. He says, in giving money to the poor, he says, go completeness and one better. Spread your wealth. Give generously and do so graciously. And I think we can learn from both perspectives. Be bold, take risks, but do so wisely without placing all your eggs in one basket. And with all that you have, give generously to those that are in need. And you know what the promise that is attached to that? You will bear fruit one day. And we are to do these things because he tells us, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. 
Times are crazy right now. I remember when I was uh, uh, in, in Los Angeles, I was there when the Seal Beach shooting happened, not far from Orange County. Here we, you know, recent shootings here in, in the D.C. area and in Chicago. I mean, we don't know when the day of disaster is going to strike. Maybe there's economic disaster. Maybe it's losing a job. We don't know. Sometimes that just, that just hits you, you know, just it sideswipes you. You don't know. Maybe the stock market, it doesn't perform. In fact, it crashes. Times are uncertain, and our initial response would be, as we see all this disaster and we see this travesty and we see all these bad things happen, you and I, what we tend to do is we tend to hoard everything. That's our way of prepping. We hoard in anticipation that there is going to be a downfall. And, of course, there have been predictions of terrible times ahead. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with preparation, but we are not to hoard. Our sole purpose is always the gospel, the good news of Jesus. How do we, in times that are thick or thin, honor God through the proclamation of the gospel? So verse 2 is exhorting us not to hang on to our possessions so tightly. In fact, the teacher is saying, hold on to your possessions with an open hand. How do you deal with that? I remember hearing a story of a friend of mine who, um, he bought a new truck and, uh, you know, really wanted to live this principle out, God, this is your truck. So anytime anyone needs it, anytime anyone needs, you know, to use it or, you know, help move or whatever, you know, it's, it's for you, God. And uh, he remembers getting it, um, you know, lending it out to a friend and the friend had, uh, um, had, had hit this uh, bumper, you know, the, what are they called, the, the ballots, uh, you know, steel ballot, a concrete ballot and uh, left a big, like, just dent right into the middle of the back of the bed of his truck. And uh, he, he got it, and as he was about to get upset, he, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit was saying, remember, that's not your truck. So he looks at his friend, and he goes, what'd you do with his truck? <laughs> and it is a paradigm shift in which we hold things with open hands, acknowledging that everything we possess is the Lord's. The teacher said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Remember that term, vanity, throughout Ecclesiastes? It's but a mist. Okay, it's here one second, gone the next. Jesus said in Luke 12.15, One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we all know that possessions can't buy happiness. From a biblical viewpoint, possessions are, are to be used to help those in need. And I'll be the first one to admit so many times I'm, I'm blind to, 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 to those that are in need because I'm so self-absorbed in, in what I got to do or in what I have defined as people in need. And it's not just among the poor or the homeless. But what about our friends and family? So often we've distorted this. It's the job of the church to provide the needs of others. And I'm not talking about the church as in, okay, it's the job of these five pastors to provide the needs for everyone. No. You read Acts chapter 2, everybody, the whole body of Christ was giving up even their, their, own, their, their whole life property for the betterment of the body of Christ so that no one was in need is what the, is what the scriptures say. It's pretty radical, isn't it? good portion of America is unemployed. It's dropped from 9%. Now it's a little over 7%. 
Not sure what it here in, in Anchorage, maybe a little lower. But more than that, a good chunk of people are underemployed. And I just tell you that because there's this, there is much need among family and friends. And there are those that, you know, for whatever reason, aren't expressing that. Maybe pride, maybe fear of judgment. I confess I have a hard time asking people for help. And I don't mind giving help. But at the same time, God has revealed in my own heart that it's pride that I don't ask for people for help too. We are to take risks by giving. Who, who is the greatest, most sacrificial giver that you know in the scriptures? And this is where you can give your Sunday school response, okay? Jesus. And let me ask you something about Jesus. What did he risk for those in need? Everything. He risked the throne of heaven, right? Philippians 2. He took on the flesh of man. He was born in complete humility. He was born in a dark, dungy cave in a feeding trough. Mary had no midwives. Mary had no one to attend to to the birth of the Savior of the world. She had Joseph. But you see the scriptures say that Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths. She was by herself alone. The son of man, the king of the world, the king of the universe was born in complete humility. He risked it all so that people that despised him and rejected him would be saved. It's good news. Amen. I see, apart from Christ, I'm lost in my sins and hopeless without him. Let me tell you what, brothers and sisters, the scriptures call all of us to follow him. And in doing so, the promise is that one day we'll get it back. Proverbs 22, 9. Let's go to read some other wisdom literature about this promise. Proverbs 22, 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Lends to who? To the Lord himself. And he will repay him for his deed. Deuteronomy 15, 10. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Let's look at Jesus, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. So Jesus even urges us to give liberally when there's no chance that people can repay us. Luke 14, 12 through 14. This topic of giving, especially to those that can never pay you back. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This really radically changes our hearts on giving, does it not? Be bold and take a risk. Verse 3 in Ecclesiastes 11. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. 
So here in this verse, the teacher is explaining that there are certain things we can observe uh, by using examples in nature. We can be certain to an extent. I guess, I guess this is what would be called calculated risk. Clouds were meaningful signals, especially in Palestine. When the heavy clouds blew in from the Mediterranean, people knew that the rainy season was going to be upon them. And we understand that in Alaska. How many of you guys, if you're driving, you look at the mountains, what do you see on top of them right now? Yeah, man. It's kind of just kind of down the other day. Not that I hate winter. It's just, you know, wow, it's, there's a nip in the air. And <laughs> but we know that. We see that it's coming, and here we are today. But the second example is of the trees. When a tree falls, whether to the north, south, east, or west, where it falls, it falls. It's not going to be back up. It, it lies there. The point that there are some things that we can know by observing nature. In other words, there are some little certainties in life. But the problem with this is that what you and I do is because of the distortion, because of our, 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 own, sinful, our own sinfulness, we tend to demand more certainty than is good for us. Like we want everything in place before we, before we make a decision. We want to make sure all the risks have been calculated. Verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Of course, farmers prefer ideal weather for sowing and for reaping. And we all understand this here in Alaska in terms of watching the weather, right? During the summertime, don't we check the the forecast to make sure that it's nice weather before we go out camping? Not saying that we don't go camping regardless, but we check the weather. And for farmers, they carefully study the clouds and, and study the weather. And in ancient Palestine, the best time to sow was when there was little or no wind because this allowed the farmers to scatter their seed evenly over the fields. But if they waited and waited for perfect weather, they might never sow. At some point, they needed to take that step. They needed to take the risk. And we all have to take risks. We're not to wait for perfect conditions in life. We are not to be overly cautious. Because what happens when you and I are consumed in cautiousness is that it paralyzes us. And I confess, this is one of my weaknesses. I'm a planner by nature. Any other planners in here? You guys know what I mean? Okay, a couple. I'm a task-oriented person. And yes, that can be a good thing. But it's also a double-edged sword. On the flip side, my wife is a doer. You know, the garage needs to be clean. So what does she do? I mean... She's just, ta- she's like right at it, you know, just tackling the task. Whereas I'm like, okay, we got to first, you got to write this on paper. What do we need to do here? You know, what do we need to do? And, and I, I plan, plan, plan. The bigger the project, the more the task. And don't get me wrong, planning is good. There's a saying, right, a famous saying that goes, those that fail to plan, plan to fail. So I'm not bagging on planning, and I know that's me, and we're all wired in different capacities. But you and I, especially if you're a planner, We have to be cautious of being overly cautious. Sometimes we get so into planning that, you know what happens? We fail to act. We get so consumed with the plans that, you know, it paralyzes us. And we we never get the task done. But we planned it. (laughs) Every T was crossed, every I was dotted, and we we had a solid plan. But guess what? Didn't get done. And know that the conditions aren't ever fully right. The principle of risk-taking applies not only to farmers. We talked about merchants. They have to take a risk. Some of our ladies here are homemakers. You've had to take a risk. 
in doing that. Students have to take a risk. We all have to take risks. And you and I can never be certain that our timing is perfect. We should never let the unknown paralyze us. Rather, you and I are to use every opportunity to work boldly. Verse 5. As you don't know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So here now in verse 5, the teacher tackles again this topic of the unknown. Simply put, the things that you and I don't know, the unknown. In ancient times, they didn't have a clue how life developed in a mother's womb. Psalm 139.15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And even today, with all the great medical advancements and knowledge today, we still don't really know how life comes into being. We have theories. And since we don't know the unknown, the teacher is going to give us some guidance here. And he transitions by using the word, so. You and I don't know the work of God. But guess what? It's God who makes everything. We don't know what God will do next. We don't know his plans for the future. It's very limited. Of course, we can read Revelation and and other passages. We understand that. We know that there is going to be a full consummation of the kingdom. We know that Christ is going to return to judge the living and the dead. We don't know all of God's future plans. We live with a great deal of uncertainty is what I'm trying to convey and what our teacher is trying to convey. But there is one thing that you and I can bank on every second of the day. And you know what that is in that verse? God who makes everything. So what? So what now? The fact that God makes everything, that truth statement should embolden all of us now to take risks. This fact should solidify our faith in all times, especially in times when things are uncertain and you don't know and you don't have the answers because you serve a God that knows everything inside and out. It's also encouraging because you and I don't need absolute certainty before we act. You and I need to stop being so uptight. And I can confess I can be very uptight at times. God makes everything so you and I can send out our bread upon the waters, knowing that after many days, it will return. Amen? It's good news. Verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. As we all know, farmers take risks. They could, for example, eat the seed instead of sowing it. And we know that farmers sow with a great deal of uncertainty. Perhaps there won't be a great harvest, right? Perhaps there might be too little rain. Perhaps there might be too much rain. Perhaps there will be a harvest, but maybe the locusts might come and eat it all and devour all their harvest. So what should people do when they don't know the odds of success? What are our responses? Well, in verse 4, as we saw, Some people don't sow at all. So the simple biblical law there is if you don't sow, you're not going to what? Reap. Others wait too long to reap, and they waste the crop. 
These people are not willing to take the risk necessary for successful sowing and reaping. And the point again, because you don't know uncertainty again, use every opportunity to work boldly. So what the teacher, this is the, the screaming message of Ecclesiastes 1 through 6. Be bold and be wise. Look at this. Four times in six verses here, the teacher says that we do not know. There's, there's a reason for this repetition. We all know the parable of the sower in one example in Matthew chapter 13. Look at the sower. The sower sowed the seed regardless of whatever patch of land it landed on, right? True. He was sowing seed liberally and graciously. And we know that uh, uh, some had landed on hard path and got eaten by the birds. Some had landed on the rocks and didn't have any depth in which it could grow. And the sun scorched it and it died. Some of it had, had, had uh, grown among the thorns, but the, th- but the thorns choked it and prevent, prevented growth. And lastly, some of it, grew, uh, some of it was, had fallen onto good soil and it grew many times over, right? But the sower sowed regardless, knowing that the seed would fall on that. In, in other words, he sowed his seed in midst of uncertainty and failure. He knew that some would prosper, And that was the fact that emboldened him to sow liberally and boldly. So I want to talk about uh, that because we're going to take it a step further now. Isn't that neat that when you read the scriptures and you'll read the Old and New Testament, I mean, Jesus is simply echoing all the principles from the Old Testament as well. There's like, there's no contradiction there. And if you know the parable, do you remember what the seed represents? Shout it out. The word of God. The word of the kingdom. And the sower graciously was sowing that word. And what I want us to, as we talk about taking risk and being wise, what the writer now, we can, when we cross the bridge now to the New Testament, we are to be gracious and, and we are to be generous as we sow the word of God. No matter what soil it lands on. You and I are to be part of this process of sowing and reaping. But the problem is, a lot of us, we just want to see the reaping, right? We, we, we want to see people receive the Lord, and we want to be part of that. And we forget that both sowing and reaping are part of this process, and that you and I are to be involved in that. Just as Paul had said, yeah, there are, you know, there are those that uh, um, sow, there are those that water, but in the end, who makes a crow? God does. So I just want to challenge you. Don't miss out on the opportunities. We are to sow the word of God liberally in, in both word and deed. And I want to talk about that, okay? You have no gospel if there's no proclamation. But yet, at the same time, there are two sides of the same coin when we talk about the gospel. There's demonstration of the gospel, and there's declaration of the gospel. And they go hand in hand, okay? Demonstration and declaration. We are to live among people with a Christian witness. We are to demonstrate what the gospel looks like, what a transformed life looks like. And we're doing that so that people are are curious and say, why do you live like that? Well, let me tell you why. So Peter says to you, we're to use every opportunity, even though the days are evil. Now we're to give a reason for the hope that we have. It's really not a verse on, like, Christian apologetics, like, hey, be intelligent and no. No, it's, it's 
live a life that's so transformed that it, it, that it draws curiosity so that when people ask, you're ready to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to them so that they may be saved. And we live in a city that desperately needs the gospel. You know, I, I have maybe a certain paradigm, but I believe in this city. Of course, if, if you're a Christ follower, you have been given a new identity. You're a child of God. But I also believe that those that are not saved, I also believe they're children of God. I just believe that they're lost children. And that who, who, who will speak, as that video said? Who will go? Is it just an elite, like, you know, like 2% of Christians are to go and evangelize? 2% of Christians are just to go and, and sow seeds? No. This is a commission given to all of us to make disciples. And it involves boldness, and it involves risk. And the question is, where are you at? Where are you at in that process? You and I are to use every opportunity for him and his glory even when times are uncertain. And one of the truths um, that I keep dwelling on is when, when we talked about the four Gs, that first one of God being great so you and I don't have to be in control. When you really believe that promise that God is great and you don't have to be in control, it's liberating, right? Amen? I mean, so we live, you know, we live and, and releasing that, you know, that desire to clench onto everything and be in control. That includes, in, you know, sowing, sowing our seeds. Um, prior to, uh, when I first got into ministry, I, was a, uh, I, I worked as a youth pastor. So worked, you know, among, uh, you know, hundreds of students um, before. Um, and for those of you that have helped out in any way in student ministry, or for those of you that even have teenagers, um, teenagers can sometimes be unlovable people. <laughs> You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and, you know, as a, as, a, uh, you know, as a pastor, you know, that was the calling on my life. And uh, even ter- during times of discouragement, you know, the call was, is, was always something that grounded me. But you have your students, and you love your students, right? I mean, you know, youth pastors love their students, and we want to see them. We want to see them know Jesus Christ, and we want to see them grow, and we want to see our students grow in the faith and be bold. And just as a pastor wants to see his flock do the same as well. And oftentimes in youth ministry, you know, you're sowing seeds all the time, you know, whether you're hanging out with students, you're, you know, even, um, even if you're just playing basketball and you're having a conversation, you're always sowing seeds. And a lot of times you're not sure what, what's going on there. And I remember there was a student of mine um, in which, you know, was sowing seeds, spending time, but uh, oftentimes just felt like he would do things that just, you know, completely contradicted that and was uncertain. And it wasn't until seven years later that I got a phone call in the middle of the night and this is a, a, a former student of mine saying, hey, um, Chris, I'm here at, at the jail, and can you help me out? I was like, no, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Um, I said, okay, I guess, uh, guess the Christian thing to do is, no, I'm just kidding. I was right, I was, I was right there. And uh, we were able to talk throughout the whole evening, and, uh, you know, um, because he had turned uh, 18, he didn't notify his mom. So we made the point to, you know, I went with him to talk with his mom, and, you know, we talked to the situation. I wasn't sure what was happening, but we met for a little bit, and he ended up leaving the college. And two years later, you know, I get a phone call. And he, um, you know, we hadn't talked for a while, and he just said, you know, like, Chris, I'm here at school, and I'm um, writing uh, just my life story. And I want you to know that I received the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he's the Lord of my life, and I'm living for him. And I want to just orient all my life around him. I want to tell people about Jesus all the time and just, you know, just, just great news. And I tell you that not because this is self-boasting on any part of a person, but we're all part of the sowing and reaping process. I wasn't with him at college. There was another brother in the Lord that, that, you know, was speaking into his life. I just did what I could while I had him in the season of life. And God, in the end, who gets the glory? God. So the question now is, just tell this story as an illustration. Are you sowing and are you reaping? Are you pouring your life knowing that every time that you speak the word of God, any time you share the love of God is never in vain, never, ever. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the word of God? Then you're going to believe the promise that when the word of God goes out, it does not return void. And when you continue to read that passage in Isaiah, you know what the result is? That the evidence of the word not returning void is that it's going to spur up worship. Isn't that true? My, My previous student, he's now worshiping the Lord, giving his life, living in the paradigm that all of my life is Christ. And to die, I mean, to live as Christ, to die is gain. So brothers and sisters, I pray, I pray that you would use every opportunity for his glory, and that just say you haven't been, start it now. It's the glory of God that he receives us regardless of our performance. But we have the greatest message. We have good news. And regarding those, um, I pray that you would also know that if we believe that God is sovereign over every sphere of life, you're going to believe that God is sovereign over the sphere of work and vocation. And because God is sovereign over the, the, the sphere of vocation, it's a holy sphere. Amen? That means that what you, what, 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 there's no divide here. What I do and what you do is of equal sacred importance to God. Who invented work? God did, right? And some people are like, well, work is a curse. No, 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 that, okay, all right. What, what happened, all right, after the fall, okay, God invented work, and he saw, and he declared everything good. The result of the fall is that our work is going to be hard now. <laughs> There's going to be thorns and thistles. But work is a good thing. In heaven, you and I are going to be working. We're going to have a job. It's for the, for the big man upstairs, right, as, as the saying goes. But know that your vocation, okay, is sacred. Where you work is a sacred place. And I pray that you would look at it that way and that you would use every opportunity. Your home is a sacred place. Your neighborhood is a sacred place. Let us be bold, amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for just accepting us, God. Thank you that in you we've been given a new identity. Thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us from our own sinfulness, from ourselves, and just from the corruptness of this world. 
Thank you that you call us to yourself. And, and Lord, in, in our identity, we're given, of course, a new identity as children of God. But we're also given an identity that we are to be on mission with the greatest missionary on the planet, you yourself. And that you have a mission, God. And that mission is that you want to rescue and renew all of creation. And that the greatest evidence of that is the, is, is the work of Jesus Christ. And you have a mission, and we're simply to join you, God. And we know that, that taking on this mission is going to involve boldness and risk. And I just pray that there, there are some here that, Lord, that I know that they were just on the verge of maybe, maybe making a difficult situation. I'm praying, Lord, that they would make a bold decision for you, God. I'm praying that there would be some in this room that would make a radical reorientation of their lives around the gospel, the proclamation of it. Even if it means like uh, just, you know, moving into a certain neighborhood or moving into or just looking at their workplace as sacred and as a place that desperately needs uh, uh, the gospel. I'm praying that also there would be new friendships developed here, not just for the sake of community, no, but for the sake of the gospel. Because, Lord, if we just gather for the sake of community, it's going to be in, in, an in and end of itself. As Christians, we gather for mission. And through that gathering of mission, there's community created, God. So I'm praying that you would do that here. Father, um, I pray also just for all of us in here that we would, that we would take bold steps of faith. Lord, I want to pray for um, the husbands and the fathers in, in this room right now. Father, maybe there are some in here that have not been leading their families. I pray, Lord, for them right now. I pray that, you know, that, that, that now would be the day. I pray that regardless of, of their failures in the past, they would not be imprisoned or handcuffed by them, God. I pray that they would know that if they are in Christ, there is freedom. And now there, there is an ability that they're able to move forward, empowered by the Spirit, to lead their families. Father, I thank you for all the, the wives and the mothers in this room. I know that there's just so many moms in here that just give up so much for their families. And I want to pray for encouragement over there. I pray that they would not be discouraged. I pray that they would keep doing that, Lord, knowing that every task in the Lord is never done in vain. And I pray for uh, both the moms, the, the, the full-time homemakers and moms and the full-time moms as well as having a full-time job. I pray that you would just encourage them. And I know that every day is really a step of faith and boldness there. Father, I pray for our, our, our single people, Lord. I pray, pray for our young single people, Lord. I know that um, there's a lot of just uncertainty in their own life, like what career to pursue, what college to go to, who to marry and what to do. And there's just so many unanswered and unknowns. I pray that the truth of this passage would just stir faith in their heart, that regardless of the uncertainty, they worship a God who has who makes everything. So I pray that if it would involve a step of faith to pursue something that you've been calling them to, but maybe everyone around them has discouraged them, I pray they would take a bold step of faith. You know, Lord, I pray for those that are um, in a semi-committed relationship right now, that they understand the paradigm of marriage, but they're just paralyzed by fear of commitment, Lord pray you would embolden them to take a step of faith and to embrace your design for relationships. 
Father, I just pray for all of us. All of us here have something in which we can take a step of faith. And thank you, Jesus, that, that our righteousness is not dependent upon our ability. Our righteousness is dependent upon what you've done for us on the cross. And in so doing that, the gospel transforms our heart motivation in which now it's not drudgery, but it's now a heart filled with gratitude in which we can give all our effort to because of what you've done on our behalf. So, Lord, give us courage. Stir up the faith in our hearts. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your everlasting mercy. And thank you for your grace. For your glory alone, forever and ever. Amen.